Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, Upholding the Truth, with a message titled, Called to Lead. So turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Timothy 3 verse 1 says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Well, that one sentence tips us off that the next long section in 1 Timothy is about overseers. Paul has written a book about how Christians ought to behave in the household of God, and a part of that behavior is about the structure, the workings of the local church, and how leadership should function. You know, many a church has been destroyed because of a critical spirit or because of careless spiritual attitudes. In fact, it's the very thing that overseers do. They set the stage for the kind of fellowship that happens in a local church. See, I think that within any local church, there are two values that must be of great concern. One is faithfulness to the scripture or the apostolic doctrine, and the other equally important is love and unity. Satan would love to destroy those two things in any church. Overseers are called to safeguard those things. Now, we've been studying 1 Timothy, and we've noticed that these two elements were absent from the church in Ephesus. Well, some of the leaders in Ephesus both brought false teaching and also division. Rather than guarding the church, the overseers had promoted false teaching and division. So when we come to chapter 3, we notice that Paul has moved to the heart of his concern for the local church. And the Greek word is the Greek word episkopos. And some of you are aware that in the U.S., the Anglican church is called the Episcopalian church. It's a title taken from that word. But the word episkopos is sometimes translated as bishop. And that may surprise us here because in our world, I mean, we think of a bishop as a person who oversees a large number of churches and to whom the pastors in local churches are accountable. And it's for that reason that we need to take one day and simply study the matter of episkopoi or bishops, or as translated in the ESV as overseers. Well, I'm not going to settle the matter of how a local church, or for that matter, a denomination ought to be organized. It's not my plan to do that. But I do want to come to terms with the word overseer and see if we can discern what Paul had in mind when he gave instructions as to how to discern who could become an overseer. See, I think the best place to start would be to go to a parallel text, and this one's taken from 1 Peter, and I'm reading 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. See, I want you to notice several terms in this passage, all speaking of leadership in the local church. First, notice that Peter is exhorting the elders, elders that are serving a local church. And you might respond by saying, oh yeah, Peter is speaking about elders, and Paul in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 is talking about overseers or bishops, two different offices. Now, just to be clear, as I've said, the overseer, and that Greek term there is episkopos, and now we have the word elder, and that's the Greek term presbyteros. 
Yeah, you might be right when you say, oh, there's a denomination called the Presbyterian denomination. Yep, it's taken from that word. Before you jump to a conclusion, watch the text in 1 Peter very closely. Peter says, I'm speaking to the elders among you. And then he tells the elders what they're to do. They are to shepherd the flock of God. And that word shepherd is where we get the word pastor. So let me put it another way. To the elders among you, here's your job assignment. Be pastors to your local church. I hope you're already getting how important this text is. It's quite common in our day to think of a local church that consists of pastors and shepherds as if they're two different offices. The pastors teach, preach, disciple, and so forth. And the elders are a part of the governing board that oversees everything from the budget to salaries and to whom the pastor or pastors are accountable. Now, in the New Testament, there is no such arrangement at all. Pastors and elders are exactly the same people. It's two different terms for the same office. Think of the words that people use today, the minister, the reverend, the pastor, the shepherd. I mean, they all mean those titles as descriptors of exactly the same thing. And so it is in the New Testament. An elder and a pastor are exactly the same. Now, back to 1 Peter 5. To the elders, you are to pastor the flock, and then adds Peter, you are to do so exercising oversight. And yeah, that's our word, the one that Paul used in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, the office of overseer. And by now you should see that in the New Testament church, the words overseer, elder, pastor, or shepherd are all words that describe exactly the same office. They're interchangeable terms. Get that in your head. Some are not bishops and some are not local pastors. They're all the same. That kind of an arrangement is found in the Bible. Now, look, I'm not arguing that a local church should not have, you know, some kind of a governing board. I mean, they should. I'm simply arguing that you can't find that in the Scripture. The matter of a local board, that's a different matter. Look, at some level, pastors need to be accountable somewhere, and various denominations and churches have different structures for doing that. But let's get back to 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. Let's describe the calling of that one office, the office of pastor, who's also called elder or overseer. First, let's notice that Peter calls them elders. So why is that? What's meant by the term? Well, first of all, the term elder comes to us from the Old Testament. We know that Moses had 70 elders who assisted him. And by the time we come to the ministry of Jesus, all the members of the Jewish Sanhedrin were the elders of Israel. We also know that the very first Christian church, the church in Jerusalem, was led by elders. And when Paul was planting churches, every single one of them was elder-led. Listen to Acts 14.23. And when they appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So who were elders? Well, elders were spiritually mature men who had distinguished themselves by being faithful and godly leaders in their home and who, in consequence of their spiritual maturity, were given the charge of governing the church. This was the only form of local church leadership that's actually recorded in the New Testament. You'll also notice that Peter describes himself as a fellow elder. Peter is, of course, much more than an elder. Remember, elders are local church leaders, but Peter is a global church leader. He's an apostle. An apostle is someone who has specifically chosen for that office, not from the church, but was directly called by Christ. They'd been eyewitnesses 
of Jesus on earth. They'd seen Jesus raised from the dead. They were called by Christ to govern the global church. They were given authority to speak on behalf of Jesus, and their writings are the Word of God of equal authority as the Old Testament Scripture. All local church elders were directly accountable to the apostles. By the way, today all local church elders are also accountable to the apostles in that their writings are to be obeyed, taught, honored, as inspired. So I think it's fascinating that Peter calls himself a fellow elder. That is to say, Peter is not only an apostle, he is also an elder. He doesn't just sit in some headquarters far away. He's, in fact, giving leadership at a local level. He's involved in the local church. And that tells us something. No global church leader is ever absent from the local church. But notice also that he calls himself a witness of Christ's sufferings. We know that he was that, but that calls something in mind. Remember that when Christ suffered, Well, it was Peter who had denied him. And Peter may be bringing that to mind, even though he is called to eldership. It's a calling of grace. He's unworthy. But nonetheless, he was still called. Every faithful pastor I've ever met has confessed their deep misgivings over themselves and an awful sense that they're unworthy, and yet they've been placed there by grace. But Peter may have had something else in mind as well. He not only had witnessed the sufferings of Christ, but he'd also participated in them. In fact, if you go to 1 Peter as a whole and read the book, you'll find it's about suffering. 1 Peter 4.13, Peter speaks about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. He means here that we are to be intimate with the sufferings of Christ. I think Peter means that the call to a pastor or the call to an elder, remember the same thing, the overseer, but this calling is also a calling to enter into suffering. No one ever led a church to health without paying the cost. As we do every October, this year we're offering a 2022 scripture calendar based upon Dr. Neufeld's recent book, Making the Most of Your Salvation. Throughout the year, you'll be reminded of God's great provision for those who believe, featuring wonderful pictures of crosses around the world, inspirational quotes from Dr. John, and passages of Scripture that remind us of all the benefits of our salvation. I believe this is one of Back of the Bible Canada's best Scripture calendars, and it's yours for free as our gift. Just call to request your copy today as quantities are limited. We pray this will be an inspiration to express gratitude to God throughout 2022. Call us now at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca. Additional calendars to your free calendar are also available at $10 each. If you're called to church leadership, you're going to suffer. And the larger the charge, the greater is the call to suffer. Sometimes it comes because of criticism. Sometimes it calls for sacrifice that makes many draw away. But the faithful elder has not only been called to biblical leadership, he's also been called to suffering. 
in many persecuted countries in the world, uh, the first people in prison are the Christian leaders. They always go first. But not only in times of persecution. The leaders are called upon to sacrifice first, give first, pray first, labor first, suffer first. But interestingly enough, Peter would not let that stand. He's not trying to give a picture of, you know, woe is me, or won't you feel sorry for me? Not only is he called to suffer, he says he's also called to a place of honor. Look again at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1b. He says, a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And that's very important, and we're going to get back to that. But for now, let's just take note of it. Notice now verse 2a, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And I want you for just a moment to go back to verse 1. Now, perhaps you missed it, and I hope you see it now. The elders are among you. See, that's where shepherds are found. They're among the sheep. You see, here's what's unique about Christian leadership. Leaders are always called to a shepherding or a pastoring function. And that may be surprising to many. Yeah, elders are required to make decisions, but their first and foremost function is to shepherd. So what are the tasks of a shepherd? Well, according to the prophet Ezekiel, there are at least six of them. One, shepherds must feed the sheep. That means the elders are accountable before God to make sure that God's people are both taught and trained the Word of God. Elders must be biblically and doctrinally strong and be able to teach God's people the truth. Number two, shepherds must strengthen weak sheep. Sheep require strength to go out to pasture and to come back, sometimes over difficult terrain. There are those people whose faith rests on shaky ground. And when there's a hardship or a temptation or a testing, they fall away. Shepherds help people know how to live strong in the seasons of testing. Number three, shepherds heal sick sheep and they bind up injured sheep. See, this is a reference to those who have done harm to their souls or who have fallen into sin or in danger of despairing. Indeed, they would do so if it were not for the faithful shepherds who know how to restore them to spiritual health. Number four, Shepherds must bring back sheep who are straying. Since sheep are vulnerable to predators, shepherds encourage the sheep to stay within the safety of God's people. Number five, shepherds look for lost sheep. They're called to do the work of an evangelist. Number six, shepherds must defend the sheep against the wolves. Philip Keller in his book, A Shepherd, looks at Psalm 23, says that he knows of two wolves who killed 292 sheep in a single night of unbridled slaughter. This means that shepherds are on their guard for false teachers and defend the sheep against those who want to destroy. See, it's not an easy task. It's daunting. It's overwhelming. It's enough to bring someone to their knees and plead that, you know, I'm unable to do so great of a task. But that's precisely what God has called his pastors to do in the context of the local church. Did you know that Jesus himself called himself the good shepherd? We could also translate that as the good pastor. He said the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And every shepherd knows that he's called to follow Jesus' example. That's why an elder lives with the sheep and gives up his life for the sheep. But in reading the text of 1 Peter 5, we also notice that a shepherd is called upon to give oversight to the flock. So let's remind ourselves of that again in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. 
See, overseers are those who are called upon to make decisions. And in any church, there are, of course, hundreds of decisions that need to be made. How shall we properly disperse the tithes and the offerings? When shall we build a new building? How many staff do we need? Which missionaries are we going to support? How shall we be training the next generation? How shall we look upon those who are destitute? How can we help the abused and the helpless? How are we looking after our aged? Are we actively involved in blessing our community? How do we become more effective in pursuing evangelism? But overseers are also called to give vision for directing the future to seize fresh challenges offered by the Spirit of God and to move the church in a direction that they have not gone before. And because of this, missionaries are sent out and the needs of the community are addressed and people are challenged to become full-fledged followers of Jesus. But isn't it wonderful that decisions like this are not made by executives, but rather by shepherds who have suffered for the flock and have nurtured and fed the flock and who have led the flock. Hence, when they lead, they lead out of servanthood, not out of worldly managerial leadership styles. And that's why, for instance, the book of Hebrews tells us, and here I'm reading Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Here's what the church is required to do. Pray for your leaders. Submit to your leaders. Don't easily criticize them. Don't speak things behind their backs. Don't make their families' lives difficult. Bless them. Send them notes of encouragement. Know that the devil wants to discourage them and get them to quit and to fall under self-condemnation. There is therefore this partnership that all of us share with the leaders that God has put over us. When they do well, we do well. When they're encouraged, they will encourage us as well. So let's look to the end of 1 Peter 5, verse 2, and on to verse 3. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. See, Christian leaders are called upon to live exemplary lives. And Peter is concerned about three things. Number one, he's concerned that an elder would lead out of compulsion. The elder feels he's either meeting the expectations of others or for some reasons the joy of his ministry is gone. It's replaced only by feelings of the expectations of others. I remember years ago having that very same feeling. I was discouraged because of criticism, weary of the burden of the whole thing, and told God I I wished he'd never given me this horrible gift of preaching. But in spite of my sin, God used some very godly people around me to refresh me. Compulsion leads to a sense that the church owes me something, which leads to a self-seeking leader. That's the opposite of the attitude of Christ. Number two, Peter also warns about the elder who's interested in shameful gain. In other words, he's looking for something he can get out of this for his own advantage and benefit. Many an elder in the past has abused people financially, and when that happens, he inspires God's people to be selfish rather than giving. He inspires them not to have the attitude of Jesus. And number three, Peter warns about the elders who domineer, the power monger, not the servant. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus, Matthew 20, 25 to 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and the great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. 
But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, listen, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus had a great deal to say about how we should lead, and Peter's merely following his example. But lest all of this seems so hard, Peter wants to add something that I think is quite frankly wonderful, and that's found in verse 4. It's a promise. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Every pastor knows that's what they're really working for. See, the crown Peter speaks of is the victor's crown. It was a golden crown given by Roman generals to soldiers who were the ones who were most valiant in the battle. Not every soldier got one. This was given to the one who had accomplished something unusual, had shown exceptional courage, had merited special attention. I mean, we might think about that today, a medal given to a soldier. But let's get back to Paul's word, shall we? 1 Timothy 3 verse 1. He says, it's honorable. He says, it's honorable to seek to be an overseer. And therefore, when anyone seeks it, we should praise them. But as we will also see, it takes a great deal of discernment to know who to call to that office. Thanks for your message, John. You know, the pastoral role within the church is so critical. So so when the church is looking to engage a new pastor, it would seem reasonable to think that we ought to know what we're doing. <laughs> yes, and, and uh, you know, I, I think it would be really okay for a local church that's a congregational church in which the decision about who the pastor will be will be from the congregation, but for a church to um, look to gain wisdom, sometimes from the outside, uh, help in what are the key issues, uh, to do a Bible study with God's people beforehand, and, uh, and to begin to make a list so that all of us understand what it is we're looking for. I mean, the, the worst thing that can happen is, you know, eventually, you know, somebody comes to candidate and somebody likes him and someone doesn't like him. And so in the end, regardless of what we think, it's just on the basis of popularity. Um, that is always the wrong approach because as we know, popularity wanes with time, and then just the regular life carries on. So it's at that point in time that we begin to come to terms with what is it that a pastor is called upon to do, what's their task, and then to find out whether or not they're doing it. That brings unity rather than division. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Upholding the Truth, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Have you made plans to join us April 24th to May 2nd, 2022 for the next Israel experience? Maybe you're holding back and we understand, so we've made it easier to register and easy to be refunded if for some reason we're unable to travel. So don't hesitate, register before the limited space is sold out. Join Dr. John Newfeld, Alathagain's Phil Calloway, recently confirmed musical artist Laura Hastings, and the Back to the Bible Canada team. Travel to the Holy Land where Jesus, Paul, and David walked. Visit the Jordan River, David's royal palace, sail the Sea of Galilee, commune at the Garden Tomb. While the full Israel itinerary is now available, 
So for more information or to support this Bible teaching ministry, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page at backtothebible.ca.